Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you here this morning. Thank you so much for choosing to be here. Thanks for worshiping with us. And I just want to say, if it happens to be your first time here, we're excited that you're with us. We hope you feel very welcome today. Uh, it's my hope that we'd be able to help you pursue God today. Uh, my name's John Bellis. I'm the lead pastor at the Alpine Logan campus. And then I get the opportunity to teach at, at another Alpine campus about once every month. And it's great to be back in Syracuse. I feel like it's been a while since I've been here. So I'm glad to be with you guys this morning. And I'm excited to dig into this new sermon series. And as you can see from the image behind me here, it's all about spiritual warfare. And as I say that, I recognize there are probably a couple of different reactions happening around the room. Some of you are like, finally. I've attended Alpine ever since Alpine started in Logan. I don't remember doing a series on spiritual warfare. So maybe you guys are excited to dig into it. For some of you, maybe the idea of spiritual warfare conjures up the images of demons and angels, and so you're thinking, I'm not sure I want to go there this morning. Or maybe you're just apathetic. Maybe you're disinterested. Maybe you're just checking out this whole Christianity thing, and you're like, I, I would rather focus on things that we can see and touch. But the reality is, spiritual warfare is a real thing. It's happening all the time around us. You know, our core value, number one, at Alpine Church is we look to God and His Word and everything that we, we do, and this area isn't going to be any exception. So we're going to look and see what God's Word says about spiritual warfare, and His Word says it's a real thing. You know, my experience when talking with people about spiritual warfare is we tend to drift to one of two extremes. On the one end, you have people who feel like there's a demon around every single corner, and they feel like somehow the devil knows every thought and every feeling they're experiencing. Now, certainly the devil is wise, the devil is cunning, but he's never described in Scripture as being omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He's certainly not omnipresent. He can't be in multiple places at one time. Some of the people on that end of the spectrum will even kind of avoid responsibility for their actions. You know, they'll say, the devil made me do it. We've all heard that phrase, right? The devil made me do it. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have people who minimize spiritual warfare or even deny that it exists. And I would say that neither of those two extreme views are biblically accurate. So what are we talking about when we say spiritual warfare? Well, let me dig into the big idea for this series, and that's that spiritual warfare involves both everyday life and otherworldly battles. See, spiritual warfare is, is broader than the things that make our hair stand on end when we talk about them, right? Those otherworldly things. Spiritual warfare also involves everyday life. How many of you feel like you've ever been engaged in spiritual warfare? Okay, just a couple of you. I, I know a Christian couple who years ago had to admit their son into a behavioral health unit at a hospital. He was suffering from some personality disorders. He was having suicidal thoughts, suicidal tendencies. And it was one of the toughest decisions they had ever made as parents. But they felt like that's what they needed to do for the health of their son. And so they just got on their knees and they were praying day after day after day, God, show us how to help him. Show us how to go to battle for him. Show us how we should pray because we don't know what to do. God, would you go to battle for him? And they just kept praying that day after day. And they were preparing to go on a visit with him. They had a visit coming up. And so they were praying, God, please just open our eyes to how we can help our son. And as they went into that facility, God opened their eyes and they could see into the spiritual realm. 
And they would go into rooms in this hospital where other patients were, and they could see demons over the top of these patients just screaming insults and accusations at them. And as they would come into the room, the demons would make eye contact, and they would just start praying, and they said that the demons would leave and quit screaming and kind of go out in the perimeters of the room. I've never had anything like that in my life. I've never had the type of experience, and if I did, I'd probably have to get a change of pants. Like, so if that's how we define spiritual warfare, most of us would probably say we've never been engaged in it. But let me ask you this. Have you ever prayed? Do you know every time you pray, you're engaging in a spiritual battle? Or have you ever had that little voice whisper lies to you? And maybe not audibly, maybe not that you could hear, but just those lies in your mind that say you're not worthy, you're a loser, God will never forgive you for that sin. That was way too hideous. If that's happened to you, you've been engaged in spiritual warfare. Or maybe you've had a relationship that was just way more difficult than it should have been. And that every time you try to communicate something, what that other person received was not at all what you were trying to communicate. And the more you tried to bring clarity to the situation, the more confusing things got. If that's happened to you, you've been involved in spiritual warfare. See, the idea is that it's not a matter of if we're involved in it. The question is, are we being useful in the battle or are we being a hindrance to what God wants to do? Now today we're kind of going to give the the 30,000 foot overview on spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about principles of warfare. And then we're going to dig deeper into each one of these arenas as we go through this series. So we're going to start with the world, the flesh, and the devil. These are the three arenas of spiritual warfare that we're going to be dealing with through this series. And again, today I'm just going to kind of give you the broad overview of it. Now we get this from Ephesians chapter 2. So if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 2 in your Bible or go there on your Bible app, you'll see where we're going with this. And I want you to keep in mind that Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians from a Roman prison cell. So imagine the spiritual warfare that's going on in Paul's life as he's writing this letter. We see all three of these in it. We see the world. The world wanted to stop the spread of the gospel, so religious leaders and civic leaders have Paul in jail. And I can only imagine the battle that was going on in his flesh, because I know I would have been bitter if I was sitting in a jail cell simply because I was trying to share the good news about Jesus. I would have been one bitter guy. So he's got the flesh battling. And obviously the devil is battling. The devil wants to stop the spread of the gospel. So he's working in the hearts and minds of the religious leaders of the day. So all of this has taken place as Paul writes Ephesians. And here's what he says in verses 1 through 3. He says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. So there's the world. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So here now again we see the flesh, the world, the devil, and the flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and mind. See, Paul reminds the Christians in Ephesus, in Ephesus that once they were dead in their trespasses and sins. Now the, the picture behind this word trespasses is that we have crossed a line. We have gone over God's boundaries. We're in a place we shouldn't be. 
And then the word picture behind the word sin is that we've missed the mark, that we have fallen short of God's glorious standard. And Paul says that when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we were following the course of this world. See, there's a, there's a course to it. There's a direction that the world is going, and that direction is away from the things of God. When we talk about the world, the original Greek word there is cosmos, and it doesn't just mean the earth. It's a much broader term than that. It means, it means all worldly affairs. It's not only the earth, but it's the inhabitants of the, of the earth. Some theologians have described it like this. It's the totality of all human endeavors, human activities, human wisdom, and human thought apart from God. And the direction of all of that activity is away from God. Ever since the fall, the world has been on a course that takes it farther and further from, the, from God and the things of God. That's why Paul warns us in Romans 12 too, not to be conformed to the patterns of this world. So again, there's patterns to it. There's a direction. But instead, we're supposed to what? Be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So the reality is there is no neutral. Because there is a current to this world, if you do nothing, you will drift with the current. Just like if you're in a river with a current. You have to actively swim against the current or you're going to get taken downstream. So it is with the world. We're supposed to be renewing our minds. And then Paul reminds us at one time before we put our faith in Jesus that we were among the sons of disobedience. and So that we were living in the sins of our flesh. Now, another way to think of this word flesh is it's our old sinful nature. So I think of the world as the pull from the outside to get me to go away from the things of God. But my flesh is the pull from right inside, my own self, that seeks to pull me away from the things of God. That's a real thing. Paul experienced it. He talked about it in Romans 7. He says, I don't understand it. The things I don't want to do, I keep doing. And the things I want to do, I don't do. I have these great intentions, but I can't carry them out. Why is that? Because there's a battle between our flesh and the spirit. And the passage also says that when we were following the course of this world, we were following the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. So the devil's given this title of prince. So that means he does have some authority. He does have some power here in this world. And most people who are dead in their sins would never think that they were following the devil. In fact, if you're here today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, you might be offended that I just said that. You might say, well, John, just because I'm not following Jesus, that doesn't mean I'm following the devil, but actually the Bible says it does. The Bible says if you don't have the Spirit of God working in you, that you are being led by the Spirit of the devil. That's what this verse is saying to us. It says the Spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Sons of disobedience is just anyone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That same Greek verb, at work, in this verse is the same one that Paul uses in Ephesians 3.20 where he tells believers this. He says, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work, that's that same word, at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. So the reality is, before we came to Christ, the devil was at work in us. But once we've put our faith in Jesus, now God's Spirit is at work within us because the Holy Spirit indwells us. 
In one of the areas in my life where I see all three of these battles happening, sometimes at the same time, is in my marriage. See, the world paints a different picture of what my marriage should look like than what the Bible says. So I've got this battle with the world. And then my flesh, my own selfishness, my insecurities, my lack of empathy for my wife certainly make my marriage not as healthy as God would like it to be at times. And then the devil is working behind the scenes to try and destroy my marriage. You need to know, guys, there is an enemy to your marriage if you're married, and it's not your spouse. (laughs) You might think the enemy is your spouse. It's not. Jesus said that the devil came to steal and kill and destroy, and part of that is our relationships. There is an enemy. Over the next three weeks, we're going to dig deeper into these three arenas, the world, that pull from the outside, the flesh, that pull from the inside, and the devil, who is orchestrating both of those. But for today, let's go ahead and move forward into our next principle. And that's that spiritual warfare uses footholds to establish strongholds. Just like in conventional warfare, the battle, the war, isn't usually won in a day. There are stages to it, and that's how the devil seeks to wage war against us. He tries to establish footholds in our lives that eventually he would hope would lead to a stronghold. So let me give you a couple of definitions to kind of help us out with this. A foothold is a secure position from which further progress can be made. So one way to think of this is that footholds are when we are on the offensive. Footholds are about gaining ground. It's about movement. I'm not content where I am right now. I want to get further down the road, but I've got to establish a foothold to get there. And so the devil seeks to establish footholds in our lives from which he can gain more ground. Let me give you just one example of this in Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 26, Paul says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, Paul doesn't say don't sin by getting angry. Anger in and of itself isn't necessarily a sin. We know that God the Father has anger and he's perfect. We know that Jesus had a righteous anger at times and he never sinned. But anytime we let our anger control us, we're sinning. And we're opening up a foothold for the devil. See, if we don't deal with that anger, if we don't seek reconciliation, it's going to fester. It's going to lead to bitterness. It can even lead to isolation. It's going to turn into resentment. And those are footholds that the devil will use to try and gain more ground in your life and eventually create a stronghold. So here's the definition of a stronghold. It's a place that has been fortified so as to protect it against attack. So if we think of footholds as an offensive position, a stronghold is more of a defensive position. A stronghold is an area where the enemy has already gained the ground they want to gain, and now they're going to fortify it. Now they're going to reinforce it so it's even harder for you to get that area back in your life. It's going to be tougher because the devil has brought in reinforcements. So think back to Ephesians 4 in this example we use for anger. What happens when that anger goes unchecked? And that bitterness starts to build. We tend to even get a, a negative disposition towards that person where we already assume the worst about them before they even open their mouth. And all of a sudden, we become apathetic where we just don't care. We couldn't care less if we ever saw that person again. That's a stronghold now. 
And it's going to be hard to get that area back. We're going to have to have God really come in and do work because the devil has reinforced it. See, we see the devil at work like this in so many areas, not just relationships. So, so for some of you, alcohol may have been a foothold the devil used to create the stronghold of addiction. Now, I'm not saying the Bible forbids alcohol. I'm not saying it's a sin to drink in moderation. But so many people have allowed alcohol to be a foothold that God used to create a stronghold. Young people, if you have Instagram or TikTok or YouTube on your phones, be careful because that is a foothold the devil will use to create a stronghold of pornography. Now, again, I'm not saying you can't have those apps. I'm not saying it's a sin to have them. But be careful. Be wise. Don't give the devil a foothold. Discontentment is the foothold the devil often uses to create strongholds of materialism and greed. And we need to address these things while there's still a foothold before the devil can reinforce it. Now we've looked at the devil as the one who's trying to establish footholds, and he is. That's what he does. And so that might give us the mentality that we're supposed to kind of circle the wagons and have these holy huddles where we keep the devil and the world out. That's not at all what we're supposed to do. God has called us to be on the offensive. His church is supposed to be making footholds. We're supposed to be out gaining ground for the kingdom of God. In Matthew 16, when Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, Jesus said, based on that confession, on that rock, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. See, the gates there is a defensive position. It's a stronghold that the devil has created in this world. And Jesus said, my church should be on the move. My church should be about establishing footholds and gaining ground. And if you'll do that, the gates of hell don't stand a shot. You're going to bust through those gates as you build my kingdom. So I ask you this morning, church, are you on the move? Are you establishing footholds in your families? Are you establishing footholds in your workplace? Are you establishing footholds in your neighborhood where we're going to gain more ground for the kingdom of God? Students, school either just started for you or it's starting this week. I don't know down here. My kids started on Thursday. Are you going to establish some footholds at your school this year? Are you going to establish footholds where more kids come to know Jesus and more kids come to know Jesus and eventually it's a stronghold where your school is known as a place of refuge and safety and it's a place where God is honored and you think that'll never happen. It won't if we don't start. We're supposed to be on the offensive. A lot of you might know I coached football for many years, junior high, youth league, high school football. This is the first fall in 17 years that I'm not coaching. I've got a daughter who's a freshman, and she's on the high school volleyball team, and her schedule conflicts with the football schedule. And it's more important for me to be a dad than a coach right now. But I remember all those years coaching, the first year we would get to put the pads on at practice. My favorite day of the season, the first day we get to really get physical and get after it and start hitting each other. And I would tell the kids every year, look, contact is inevitable. If you're going to play this game, you just got to get used to it. There's going to be contact. In fact, it's not really a game of contact. It's a game of collision if you played. You know what I'm talking about, right? And I would tell those young men, since it's going to happen anyway, you might as well decide to be the hammer and not the nail. It's the same thing with spiritual warfare, guys. It's going to happen anyway. You're going to be in the middle of it. So we might as well decide to be the hammer and not the nail. It's going to take us to the next point in today's sermon. 
Spiritual warfare is a battle most often waged in our minds. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says it like this. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. And what do we do with them? To knock down strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. I don't want us to misunderstand how we're supposed to engage in spiritual battle. We don't do it like the world does it. We use God's mighty weapons. And then what do we do with those weapons? Again, we're supposed to be taking down strongholds. We're supposed to be on the move. We're supposed to be gaining ground. Look at all the action words in this passage. Wage war. We use God's mighty weapons. We knock down strongholds. We destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle. We capture rebellious thoughts, and we teach them to obey Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. All of these are within the mind, right? We talk about rebellious thoughts. We talk about false arguments and human reasoning. Again, that's why that passage in Romans 12 is so important that we're supposed to be renewing our mind on a regular basis because that's where the real battle takes place. When we get into week five of this series, we're going to talk specifically about what God's mighty weapons are and how to use them. So I hope you guys will stick with us for the whole series so you can see that. And when we talk about it being a battle in the mind, I want you to think about your personal story just for a second. So, for example, if you struggle with fear and anxiety, and I'm not saying that all fear and anxiety is a spiritual battle, but certainly a lot of it is, where do those thoughts come from? Are they coming from your flesh? Are they coming from the world? Are they coming from the devil and his minions? Where do we get those thoughts? Or maybe the struggle you have in your mind is you just can't believe that salvation could be as simple as trusting in Jesus and what he did on the cross. But that's clearly what the Bible teaches. So why do you have a hard time believing that? Again, is it your flesh? Is it, is it that part of you that wants to feel like you deserve it? That part of you that wants to feel like you earned it, even though we can't? Or is it the world? Is it the world system who says, well, if you just do enough good things, or at least if your good things outweigh your bad things, then you'll be okay before God, even though that's clearly not what the Bible teaches. Or again, maybe it's the devil directly just whispering in your ear that it can't be that easy. God can't really love you that much, not after what you've done. See, we saw, see all three of these arenas at the same time engage. And, and my hope for this series is that we would all be quicker to recognize spiritual warfare when it's there, and that we'd be quicker to use God's mighty weapons to win the battle. It's going to bring us to our last point. Spiritual warfare is ongoing, but it's already won in Christ. If it weren't for this last point, this would be a pretty scary message. It wouldn't be one that I'd be really excited about. But the reality is, I don't want you to be more fearful in this series, just the opposite. I want you to have confidence that God has already won the battle. God has already won the war. We already know who the ultimate victor is. Paul writes about it in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, now he, and he's talking about Jesus Christ, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things 
for the benefit of the church. So he's talking about Jesus when he says he is far above everything. This is, this is so important. See, if you grew up in a religious system that taught that, that Jesus and the devil are, are similar, are kind of close in power and authority, you need to know that nothing could be further from the truth. It's not even close. See, the devil might be given the title the prince of the power of the air. Jesus' title is the king of all kings and the lord of all lords. Jesus is fully God. The devil is not divine. Jesus is uncreated. The devil is a created being. Their authority and power aren't even on the same level. In fact, when Jesus comes again, he's going to end all this nonsense with a single word. And there's nothing the devil can do about it. Jesus has already won the war. But it's not just the war that's won. It's not just that at the end of the day we know how it turns out. That's certainly comforting, and I'm happy for that. I'm encouraged by that. But did you know even the day-to-day battles that we experience are under the sovereignty of God? The devil can't do anything to you in the day-to-day battle that God doesn't allow him to do. And we see that throughout Scripture. We see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we see the story of Job. Right? The devil had to ask permission to attack Job. He couldn't do anything without God allowing it to happen. We see it in the New Testament. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was talking to Peter, and he said, Peter, the devil has asked to sift you like wheat. The devil had to ask. He couldn't do anything without God's permission. And God didn't allow him to do what he wanted to do. He wanted to completely destroy Peter. That's what he means by sift you like wheat. That's not what happened to Peter. Now, Peter failed and denied Jesus three times, but there was restoration. Jesus brought him back. So he wasn't allowed to do what he wanted to do. And then for all of us in 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that no temptation has seized us except that which is common to man, and God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. I can assure you if it was up to the devil, he would tempt you beyond what you could bear. But God doesn't allow him to do that. God's put a cap on it. God's put a limit on it. And I say that because no matter what the enemy is throwing at you, some of you might be in the middle of a brutal spiritual battle right now. I want you to know that if you're going through it, God has allowed it to happen. And he's got a purpose for it. And he has a plan for it. And the same God who loved you enough to leave the comforts of heaven and take on flesh and go to the cross for you has filtered it through his loving hands. So I hope that would bring you encouragement if you're in a tough spot right now. I want to look at one last passage with you, Colossians 2, 14 and 15. Oops, I went too far. There we go. It says, He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it on the cross. In this way, He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by His victory over them at the cross. Now, one thing you'll notice is that every verb in this passage is past tense. It's already done. He's already accomplished it. He canceled the record of charges. He took it away. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly. And this idea of disarming them means that the devil and all of his minions don't have any weapon that should be effective against a believer because they've been disarmed. The, The only weapons the devil has against a believer are the weapons of fear right? Fear and deception. And with the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God, 
we can spot his deception from a mile away. And there's no reason for us to fear because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The devil's been disarmed. I'm looking forward to continue to to dig into this series with you guys as we go through it. I I think it's going to be a great series. I hope you're looking forward to it. I've been thinking a lot about that, that old Christian hymn, Onward Christian Soldiers, as I've been thinking about spiritual warfare. So that's my prayer as we leave here today, that, that we would leave like that hymn says. The, the first stanza of that hymn says, Onward Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. So what do you guys say we go make some footholds this week?